Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Tightly contained laboratories. Intensive research. It takes a good number of years, minimum five years. Plants gone rogue. It smothers plants, it can smother forest remnants. Insects with weapons. Under a microscope, it does look like a soul, hence the name of soul fly. And a fly that's not even a fly? It is actually a wasp. I don't know when you want to add that information, <laughs> but they are mostly closely related to wasps than actual flies. Today, we delve into the world of biocontrol agents. Kia ora, nau mai haramai ki te hurehanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Clark and Cannon DNA. So this facility was purposely built to contain invertebrates that have a potential use for biological control for weeds. I'm at the Manaki Fenua Lanke Research Grounds in Lincoln, outside an unassuming large grey building, noticeable only for its pink door with a large HASCAM sign on it. But this is where invertebrate biocontrol agents are housed and put through their paces to check if they're up for the task. With me is Arnaud Cartier, the containment facility manager. So this building is pretty much a state of the art. It has been built in the way that we can change the temperature, change the day length. If we want to change from hemisphere, we could even change all those conditions to match precisely what conditions we would like to have in any of these rooms. So it could be a Spanish summer in one room and Invercargill in winter just next door. We move from outside through a short corridor into a lab space. This area is for monitoring research on insects or mites that have already been released into the environment. Those that haven't yet been approved for release are kept deeper inside the facility, behind many more locked doors. But let's back up for a second. What is a biocontrol agent and why do we need them? Classical weed biological control is the use of natural enemies, uh, mites, insects and pathogens, plant pathogens, to control an invasive weed in its introduced range. That's Dr. Angela Bounds, a senior researcher in weed biocontrol here at Manaki Venoa. Now, biocontrol is the use of living organisms to control pest populations of anything. But today we are focusing on those used in Aotearoa to battle weeds. New Zealand has hundreds of species that are already problem weeds and thousands of species that are probably on their way to become weeds. Dr. Ronnie Hontemann is also a senior researcher in weed biocontrol. We are very good these days at stopping new weeds coming through the borders, so new species are not so much of an issue, but our future weeds are actually already here in the country and have been for many decades. So the pool of plants that we uh, want to work on or need to work on is huge. Some of these plants are still in their early days of their distribution and other weeds are already widespread. None of the weeds in New Zealand has reached its full spread, so they can all get worse than what they are. For context, 
when Ronnie says our next weeds are already here, Aotearoa New Zealand is home to around 2,300 native plants. But humans have introduced between 25,000 to 30,000 plants from overseas. A fraction of these came accidentally, with the wrong seeds being places they shouldn't. Maybe mixed up in a seed import, overlooked seed passengers in hiking boots or socks, or floating in ballast water of a ship. Or maybe even misidentified seedlings growing with another imported plant. But for the majority of them... Most of our plants that are currently weeds were introduced on purpose, either as um, agricultural or horticultural plants, as medicinal plants, as other kind of food plants. Garden plants are probably some of our worst weeds. Now, not every exotic plant that's made its way here is a weed. Some behave nicely and stay within garden or pasture or house confines. But it's estimated that there are about 2,000 plants that have gone rogue. Of course, the idea of a weed is a human concept. Something growing where we don't want it to be, something causing harm to productive crops or to native plants. And when it comes to conservation, they sure can be troublesome. I come across this all the time when I'm out talking to folks. Remember the mile a minute taking over Maria Island and the noises? And it has white flowers and it has pink flowers, but whichever colour, it's a complete mongrel. And the weeds smothering a restored city gully in Kirikiriroa. So we're up on a bank removing elephant ear and trying to scan here. You've got a yeah. bag full. And the introduced plant dominating Tongariro National Park. Also lots and lots of heather, the invasive shrub that's so common all over the landscape. People are out there fighting the good fight with herbicides, machinery and even good old-fashioned elbow grease. But these methods are expensive, time-consuming and not effective in the long term. So biocontrol has some advantages, says Angela. The initial investment in going through the process of biocontrol is quite expensive. But after that, once the agents are established, they are self-sustaining, they spread on their own, they breed on their own and very little human input is required. So what are the characteristics of the perfect agent? Damaged plants, of course, but what else? So our dream biological control agent must be a good traveller. They would spread themselves um, throughout the distribution range of an invasive plant. Get real busy. They would build up numbers really quickly, so they would have a good population growth rate. Stay under the radar. So biocontrol agents that aren't going to accumulate predators or parasitoids in their introduced range. And be extremely fussy. The most important thing is they need to be host-specific. So they need to only attack the target weed. This is key. Because if I'm saying bringing in species for a biological control and you're picturing stoats and weasels and how badly wrong that all went, well, this is not the same. So plants produce chemicals to defend themselves. Otherwise, they would just be eaten by anything and everything. And the insects that we work on have co-evolved with them to overcome those defensive chemicals and to be in tune with the plant. And they use that host plant or group of closely related um, host plants to to feed and develop and sustain themselves. Whereas if you think of the example of stoats or cane toads, they are generalists. They will feed on anything and everything. They're opportunists. So the organisms that we're working with are very different. 
And where do they go to recruit? Well, to the plant's host nation, of course, to see what evolved to munch on it. But before they hop on a plane to comb through jungles looking to recruit potential agents, they first hop online to do a feasibility study. We're looking for all the background information that we can find on the weed, including its taxonomy and phylogeny, which is a really important part of a weed biocontrol program. We need to know what plants are in New Zealand that are closely related to the target weed. For example, if a weed has very close relatives in the same genus, it's likely to be difficult to find host-specific natural enemies that we can use because sometimes we work with agents that are specific to only one a weed species but they might be host specific to a group of closely related plants so for example they might feed on several different plant species in a genera or a family in our feasibility studies, we also look at uh, the potential for opposition to biocontrol. Is that weed important uh, for any groups in New Zealand that are likely to oppose? We can often deal with those conflicts of interest by communicating. That's an important part of uh, the process that we go through before we take applications to the EPA. So part of this feasibility study is just to work out whether biocontrol is a good route to take for that particular plant. And it might not be. It's just one tool in the toolbox to help battle weeds, says Angela, not a silver bullet. But with so many plants gone rogue and the initial research investment cost of time and money being so high, how do the weeds to focus on get prioritised? We're funded to do applied weed biocontrol research mainly by a consortium of regional councils, unitary authorities and the Department of Conservation. Uh, This consortium is known as the National Biocontrol Collective. All members of the collective contribute funding on an annual basis and those resources are pooled to fund biocontrol research on, on weeds of national importance. So we're going to be using the National Biocontrol Collective's weed prioritization tool to decide on where to put our resources. What are the best targets? Basically, how are we going to get the best bang for our buck? And the weed prioritization tool looks at the importance of the weed, what its impacts are, are there other control methods available, and also the suitability of a particular weed as a biocontrol target. It might be a good target if it's been worked on elsewhere and there are already biocontrol agents available. Or how it behaves at home might be a sign that it's a good candidate. If a weed appears to be uh, suppressed, or stressed by natural enemies, those natural enemies that we mentioned, insects, mites and pathogens, then it's likely to be a good biocontrol target. And that is actually what underpins biological control. It's called the enemy release hypothesis, which postulates that weeds are a problem in their invaded range because they've been introduced without their natural enemies that keep them under control or keep them in check in their native range. Basically, without their natural oppressors, plants from overseas can have a field day here. Pun intended. Anyway, this tool created by the National Biocontrol Collective and Menaki Fenua gives them a hit list of what best to target. So step one is a feasibility study, and if it looks like biocontrol is the right tool for the job, then they'll move forward to see if they can identify some likely good candidates. Whether there are agents being used elsewhere, reports in journals about what damages that particular plant, or 
from going to the host country to collect insects, mites and pathogens that are munching on the plant. If they find something that they think might work, then comes the critical fussy eater testing and the reason why they've got specially designed containment facilities. All right, so let's have a go and work in our PC2 area. Facility manager Arnaud Cartier takes me deeper into the building. This is what we would call an airlock. So it is a transitional area where we can make sure that there is no insect escaping from the containment area to the area we are standing just before. And you may actually feel or hear that there is some pressure happening here. So all that pressure is sucking all the air and will go through that vent that you have just behind here. And any insect that may be present here will go and be caught on that yellow sticky trap or that light trap because insects do like lights. I wouldn't recommend to put your finger on that because it's very, very sticky. I managed to restrain myself long enough from touching the sticky stuff for the airlock to do its thing and we step through into a white clean corridor. So right now we are finally standing in the containment area. You've seen just before that we had to go through several doors and that is another security layer that we have to make sure that it is very unlikely that anything can escape from this area. These insects are only getting out if you're bringing them out on purpose. On purpose, yes. So we would only do that after we have the approval from the EPA, the Environmental Protection Authority, but also we'll need the approval from MPI to show that our insects, our invertebrates in our case, are disease-free and have been correctly identified as the species that we claim to have imported. Once this is done, we are able to take them outside and release them in New Zealand. So is there anything in this containment area at the moment? Yes, we are actually quite busy in this area. Now that we can finally travel all around the world, we've been very busy importing new agents. Some of them were actually coming from Chile. And this agent is called the Chilean Flame Creeper Leaf Beetle. And it is currently under host testing. It has been completed and we are now keeping a subculture so we can further understand their biology and life cycle. So this is what we are going to see now. We walk past bright white rooms with stainless steel worktops and clear panels on the front. In one are a bunch of tropical plants. They're also investigating weeds troubling tropical Pacific islands, says Arno. That room will be warm and humid. But next door to it, someone clad head to toe is working with some small, sealable lunchboxes with leaves and beetles inside. We peer in through the glass. So here we stand right in front of one of our containment rooms. And at the moment, we have Robin Wright, one of my colleagues, who is working on maintaining this leaf beetle. So as you can see, we are very strict on making sure we are wearing the appropriate um, PPE um, with overalls, air, air nets, overshoes and even gloves. 
And what we are looking at at the moment inside this box is the leaf beetle that we have imported in November from Chile. So these beetles are fairly small. They are feeding on the leaf material, but mostly the larvae are the most damaging stage of this insect. And they would even strip down entire vines of Chilean flame creeper if they build up large numbers on these plants. There are just a few leaves of the plants in these boxes, so it looks quite innocuous. But it can really take over, says Ronnie. Chilean flame creeper is a climber. It's closely related to nasturtium that a lot of people are familiar with, but it's got no close relatives in the native flora and in the economically important flora. It is mainly a problem in southern areas, Southland, Otago and Canterbury as well, but not so much in the North Island. And it smothers plants, it can smother forest remnants. So it is a big problem for native areas. It is also a problem for plantings or forest remnants on farmland. And this potential agent was actually a lucky find. It, this beetle was uh, discovered in uh, serendipity. Uh, our crew was actually looking for agents for another weed in Chile when they uh, came across this beetle on Chilean flame creeper in the native range. Chilean flame creeper in Chile is almost a rare plant. It's difficult to find. And these beetles seem to be feeding ferociously on it. And this bumped up Chilean flame creeper the, up the list of priority weeds, and we started studying this beetle. So this Chilean beetle will have spent the last while in the containment facility being offered different plants to see just how fussy it is. Even though Aotearoa has no close relatives to the Chilean flame creeper, they still tested over 20 plant species. At the moment they're analysing results, once that's completed... If the beetle is still looking like a good candidate, they'll put forward an application to the EPA for permission to release it. Because the EPA, or Environmental Protection Authority, is the government authority that deals with new organisms being allowed into Aotearoa. Miriam Robertson is the manager of new organisms at the EPA, and I start by asking her, what defines a new organism? So there's quite a list that's actually covered by that, uh, but the two most common ones we see is organisms that weren't in the country before the 29th of July 1998, or they're genetically modified. And why that specific date? That's the date when our legislation came into force. Of course, the EPA is not just dealing with biocontrol agents for weeds. So where's there's a, a wide range of organisms that are looking to come into the country, whether that's uh, microorganisms for probiotics, genetically modified organisms for lab work or medicines, animals in the zoo. For example, if you listen to last week's episode where Emma Curtin talked about the introduction of dung beetles, well, they would have come through this EPA assessment process. Interestingly, there's a whole list of prohibited organisms on the EPA website, a list drawn up when the legislation was created. Basically, where the EPA said, at no time are we ever going to be happy for these to be brought into the country. So there's normally two categorizations on that list. Either they're going to cause a risk to the New Zealand environment or they're likely to cause a risk to human health. Never allowed snakes in New Zealand zoos. You're not allowed squirrels. Um, there's a number of plant species that have just been deemed far too high a risk. Yep. 
snakes of any species is the first item on the list, followed by venomous reptiles, amphibians, fish or invertebrates. There'll never be pocket gophers, arctic foxes or giant African snails in New Zealand. Of the things that are allowed in, some will never be released into the environment. They'll be contained in labs or zoo enclosures. But not so for biocontrol agents for weeds. So how do they get assessed? When people are wanting to bring in new species for biocontrol, they would look to put in a draft application with us and we would go through a process of checking that they've got everything they need, uh, including looking at have they engaged with relevant iwi or hapu, Once the application has been checked and is all complete, uh, then we open it up for public views and any information that the public might hold that could help us make our decision. When that closes, we take all of the information that we've received to that point and form a staff assessment or an assessment report which looks at the risks and benefits of the application. And then it normally goes to a hearing uh, where it's then heard by a decision-making committee who assess the information they've received, they hear the views of people who wanted to come to the hearing, and then they assess the, all of the information they've heard against the criteria that sits in our legislation before they make their decision. What does this look like in terms of numbers? We've approved about 50 biological control agents. However, not all of them have been released for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they just weren't able to get into the country or the colonies weren't able to establish. Our approvals also have a five-year lapse period on them. So if you're not able to bring them in within the first five years, well, you can ask for one extension. After that point, the approval is gone and you'd have to start the process again to be able to bring them in. Uh, we only approve about one biocontrol a year, but the applications sometimes involve more than one species. So, for example, we did one on wasps a couple of years ago and that involved two biological control agents. The one we just did for Sydney Golden Wattle only involved one. But in the past, they've had you know, five or six potential agents. Of course, on the flip side... The EPA is also receiving applications for new plants to come into the country. I mean, I got interested in this story because I saw an approval come through for one weed biocontrol agent, and then shortly after, an approval for 12 houseplant species. Are we not just setting ourselves up for more trouble down the line? But they're considering that too, says Miriam. What we look at when we're considering... Um, a plant is in addition to the minimum requirements we look at things like do they have the potential to become a weed have they become a weed somewhere else in the world what their requirements are for living Um, so do they require particular humidity or soils or temperatures so that helps us understand whether or not they even have the ability to establish themselves in New Zealand Uh, we look at the impact of a changing climate on whether that would change whether or not they could establish We look at whether or not they have any ability to impact our native species and whether or not they have any ability to hybridise with any species, either native or of value in the country. So we look at a lot of things to see what sort of impact they could have and whether that presents a risk to the things that we value in New Zealand. If an agent gets EPA approval and then MPI permission to be let outside of this super-sealed containment facility, then comes the next stage of upscaling. This happens just outside the facility in some large shade houses where plants are grown up and the insects allowed to multiply so that they can then be packaged up and shipped to the different members of the National Biocontrol Collective that want to release them where the weeds are being pesky. But they don't just set them loose and that's that. Both the councils and Manaki Fenua do post-release monitoring because not every agent is a dream agent. 
For example, in the outer labs, Arno is currently doing some research on an agent because though they've been released, they haven't really taken off. At the moment, we are looking at a colony of old man's beard sawfly. The original population was collected in Serbia in 2018 and we released most of it in Umberley, north of Canterbury. This year we have been collecting larvae and we brought them back in this facility to study their behavior and make sure that their um, sex ratio, so the sex ratio will be the balance between males and females, is very stable and is pretty much 50-50 male-female. The old man's beard so far have been actually a bit of a nightmare to work with because when we were keeping them in containment in those conditions, most of the adults that we were collecting were males and very few females. So what we are doing at the moment is working hard on counterbalancing this sex ratio that we can find and making sure that we will have enough females for the number of males that we have. Old man's beard is a clematis species. There is some native clematis too, which has made it tricky to find those agents that will attack only the European old man's beard clematis that's running rampant and not the natives. It grows rapidly, forming dense, heavy masses that dominate canopies, smothering and killing plants and preventing new seedlings from growing. They've been trying hard to tackle it, says Angela, but it's kind of an interesting case study for how tricky biocontrol can be. So far, we've released four biocontrol agents for old man's beard. There was a pathogen released in the 80s. Initially established really well and uh, it was having an impact on the plant, but then it died out. They've also released a leaf mining fly, which had dispersed quite well. But it's been attacked by parasitoids, which keep its numbers quite low, so it's not having a big impact on the plant. The sawfly was initially released in small numbers in the 80s, but as Arno said, they've recently re-released it in 2018. And they've also released a mice. They had major issues rearing it in containment, and so testing had to be done in collaboration with a researcher in Serbia. This whole process took 10 years. When we first started looking at the mite, from when it was actually released in 2021. We've had very early success with this, uh, with this agent. It's microscopic, but Arno's been doing quite a lot of work uh, to look at the spread. So he's been going, uh, particularly in Canterbury, looking for old man's beard buds and dissecting them under a microscope to assess how well the mite is uh, spreading and establishing. And uh, the results so far have just been amazing. He's picked up mites 65 kilometers away from the closest known release site. So we're finding this, this agent we haven't picked up. It's still uh, too early to look at impact in the field, but it's doing a really good job of spreading itself around and establishing on old man's beard plants. Now they're working with UK collaborators to investigate potential plant pathogen agents. Plant pathogens can be so host specific that they are only adapted to attack a particular strain or genotype of a weed species. So we're very encouraged by this last stage of seeking new candidate agents for uh, old man's beard. And then we will have a suite of agents attacking the plant that will hopefully bring about effective control. 
So yeah, sometimes it can be tricky, but they've also had some good wins on the board. The Mistflower is one of our great success stories and had high impact on the weed over a short period of time and to such an extent that two hebe species that uh, were critically endangered are no longer under threat. Ragwort is also a really good example of one of our success stories. Uh, three agents were released for ragwort. The ragwort flea beetle has been the most successful. It's a, um, it damages the plant mainly by uh, feeding, damaging the roots, the larvae tunnel into the roots. But as Dr. Ronnie Hunterman wants to make clear, this will never mean that mist flower and ragwort will disappear forever. We can never reach eradication with biological control of weed. This is never our target to reach eradication. The weed will remain in the environment and the biocontrol agent will remain in the environment and they will keep each other at check. So the agents are here to stay. Ronnie and Dr. Angela Bounds both understand that it seems kind of counterintuitive because New Zealand as a country spends so much time and money keeping foreign organisms out. But the weeds are here, and they are a problem. And biocontrol, when used well, can be a useful tool to tackle them. And one that New Zealand is actually quite good at wielding. Absolutely, New Zealand is leading the pack in terms of weed biocontrol, both in terms of the numbers of agents that we're releasing, but also the the underpinning research that we're doing to advance the science, to make it more cost-effective, to make it safer. Thanks to Arno Cartier, Dr. Angela Bounds and Dr. Ronnie Hunterman of Manaki Fenua Landcare Research. Thanks also to Miriam Robertson, New Organisms Manager at the Environmental Protection Authority. If you're interested in the EPA assessment process and decisions, you can sign up to the EPA mailing list to get notified about applications open for public submissions. You can also find all the decisions and list of organisms on their website. We've got the links on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. This episode was produced by me, Clark and Cannon, with help from Liz Garten and Ellen Rikers, and it was engineered by Phil Bench. Actually, today the Our Changing World team is at the New Zealand Radio Awards, where the show is finalist in not one, but two categories. So I'd like to take the chance to give a thank you to all who contribute to the show. Ellen, who works closely with me each week, the sound engineers in Wellington who make the show sound so good, all of my podcast teammates who've stepped in at different times to help, freelancers who contribute episodes so that I can go on leave, and RNZ podcast executive producer Tim Walken, who keeps saying yes when I ask if I can try new things. Thanks also to the scientists who give up their time, and to you, our audience, for listening to and following the show. We'll let you know how we go on social media. Keep an eye on our Twitter or Facebook where we are at RNZ Science. Speaking of awards, the multi-award winning podcast Black Sheep is back. This is the seventh season in which William Ray dives into the shady, controversial and sometimes downright villainous characters of New Zealand history. Find and follow Black Sheep on your favourite podcast app or search for it under the Podcast and Series tab on the main RNZ webpage. Tēnākwe i mai. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Kia pai tō wiki.